Shalom and welcome to this week's Think Jewish and this week's class is dedicated for a speedy recovery Rafur Shalema of Alan Avraham Ben Sarah and for Moshe Ben Devora. The title of this week's class is Rebuilding After a Personal Tisha B'Av. So let me just, little introductions, just to put things in proper perspective. Uh, I use the word personal tisha above. I'm not talking about when someone cuts you off at the 95 and uh, you're all distraught. We're not talking about the famous saying, uh, don't sweat the little things. We're talking about serious events. Um, whether it be, you know, God forbid a divorce, uh, God forbid a loss of a business, God forbid a loss of a child. We're talking about things of Tisha B'Av magnitude. We're talking about things where you don't just wake up the next day and say, okay, you know what? We move on. Sanity demands that we don't just move on. Something huge just happened. So that's what we're talking about. So please don't don't take every little thing in a, and make this class applicable for it because some things don't deserve the type of attention that we're about to give it. Okay, so important to know that. Not everything is a big thing. Many of us are drama, you know, queens and kings, and that's not what this class is about. And that's why the Rebbe Blessed Memory very often has said that one should have a mentor. You know, someone who you trust enough to tell you, stop whining, you sound like a baby. This is not such a big issue. Or then to be able to tell you, hey, you're living in denial because you're not dealing with the real pain. Slow down, stop. This was a big issue in your life. You gotta work this one out, okay? That's introduction number one. Introduction number two is very important for this class, and that is the difference between emunah and bitachon. That is very important. Emuna is faith. Bitachon is trust. They are not, absolutely not, one and the same. Very closely related, but not one and the same. You cannot have bitachon without emuna. I can't trust the God I don't believe in. But on the other hand, and this is an important line to remember for tonight's class. Emuna without bitachon is impotent. You cannot, you cannot accomplish something when you just have emuna, faith in God, and not bitachon, trust in God. So while emuna is so powerful, and we're soon going to see that it is so powerful that that is its weakness. However, having emunah will not help you get back up and rebuild after a serious personal tragedy. So we need to immediately know that when you hear me use the words emunah, faith, belief, or you hear me use the words bitachon, trust, don't make one big salad out of it. For tonight we're going to be very specific. Emuna belief and faith is one thing, and bitachon trust is a total different thing. Making the mistake of making them all synonymous is going 
to really hurt us when we're challenged and need to get back up and move on. Okay? Those are the two introductions that I wanted to share with you. Now let me explain what is the difference according to the teachings of Hasidus. What is the difference between emunah and bitachon, faith and trust? And I'm going to give you some Kabbalistic words, and then I'm going to tell you once what a woman who was in her last stages of terminal cancer once taught me, and that actually takes all the mystical stuff and makes it very practical. Now, there's an interesting statement in our sages, En chacham nesayon. There's no wise one like the one that goes through experience. A woman that went through all the stages until that stage will be able to teach the greatest scholar about Amunah Betachon, where all his learning of the holy books and the comfort of his self-protection will not teach him. So, Amunah, according to Kabbalah, is circular, infinite, encompassing. If you want to have the image, in Kabbalah we talk about the ten spherot, the ten holy emanations through which God created the world, and we talk about their reflection in the human being, as God said when it came time to create Adam, let us make mankind in our image and likeness. God has no image and likeness. So what was he talking about? He was talking about that transformer system called the Ten Sfirot, which is an amazing machine, which from one end we bring in the infinite light, and from the other end we give out finite attributes. And that's just a very simple way of thinking of what the Ten emanations is. For those of you who say on Shabbat, right before Kabbalah Shabbat, before Mincha actually we say it, we say Patach Eliyahu, the introduction to the Zohar, over there he forms it that way. There's the infinite, colorless, omnipotent, formless God, and then there's the ten Sfirot, and what those ten Sfirot does is it is the bridge between the infinite and the finite. Okay? But for today, we don't need to get into that. We can talk about that on a different time. What I just want to share today is if the ten emanations represent the linear, the crown, the supernal crown, which we talk about in Kabbalah, would be the circular and the infinite. So when we talk about emunah, it is not part of the three intellects and seven emotions. It is part of the supernal crown. That is why emunah is so powerful and so infinite that the Jew can go through whatever he or she, God forbid, goes through and still be able to survive. I'm being very specific with my words. I did not say rebuild. I said survive. I was about 14 years old. I was learning in California in a boarding school. I came back home, and that was the first time I left the sheltered home of the shtetl called Borough Park in Brooklyn, New York. And that was the first time I went. I put on film with someone. And when I asked this, this person, I had my specific route every Friday I used to go to. And I asked him, excuse me, sir, would you like to put on film? And he gave me the answer, did it help my father? Did it help my brothers? They were all wiped out in the Holocaust. And that, you know, it really hit me. It was the first time a young child and I knew all the stories that my grandfather told me from the Holocaust, and I came back home. I used to come home twice a year, Passover and Sukkot, and I asked my grandfather, I'll never forget, I actually have a vivid image of exactly where I was sitting, and I asked my grandfather, Zaidi, 
how did you stay religious and why did you stay religious after the Holocaust? My grandfather lost two sons whose names are on the memorial board here because he left me the exact dates in his diary and he lost a wife and his brothers and sisters and father and mother and the answer to that question is emunah. Emunah is just something which is unshakable. But because it's so powerful and because it's so unshakable, it sometimes is impotent. Because when you're in that realm of having a finite person with finite emotions and finite perception, and you have this infinite emunah that just doesn't let go, it kind of puts you in a position where I'm now going to quote to you the Talmud. The Talmud says that the Jewish thief, as he's in the middle of stealing, is praying to God not to get caught. Now, if you think about how dysfunctional that is, if you think about how dysfunctional it is that you're stealing, which is one of the no-nos in the Torah, and you're praying to God not to get caught while you're stealing. So you're asking God to please protect you while you're doing what's wrong to do, and you should be successful in it. I mean, put this in, in, in perspective. That would be like making a blessing on a ham sandwich, asking God it should really taste good. That's how idiotic this sounds. What's the Talmud saying? You're stealing and you're asking God you should be successful and not caught. And Hasidus wants to know how does that happen? How does a Jew who so believes in God that he's praying to God that he be successful and not be caught be stealing? If you believe, don't steal. If you don't believe, why are you praying? And the answer Hasidus gives is that this is this is the reaction to emunah, which is circular. The Jew is able to steal. He's unaffected on a practical level by his faith. And yet at the same time, he's able to pray to God. Who else am I going to pray to? That's the way it works. Parenthetically speaking. They tell a story, a joke, of a Jewish family that had to move far away where there was no Jewish school for education. And they had to send their child to a Catholic school. So the kid comes home and he starts asking his father, what are they talking about? The father, the ghost, the, the, the son, the what? <laughs> So his father realized that now he's sending his, his child to Catholic school. He has to sit him down and have the talk. So he sits him down and says, listen, Jewish people have only one God and we don't believe in him. That makes sense for a Jew because the emunah allows him to talk that way. We have one God. On high holidays, he's the one we visit for a couple of minutes on our way to. However, we don't believe to behave practically in the way he wants us to behave. The 248's thou shall do, the 365's thou shall not do. Because Amuna, being the crown, isn't internalized, and because it isn't internalized, therefore it can allow us to live this life of a dichotomy. I believe in you, God, but I'm going to steal. And I'm going to pray to you 
because everything is in your power. I'm going to pray to you that I don't get caught. So that's the Kabbalistic take on emuna. Now let's talk about bitachon, trust, not faith. Trust is a different, whole different ball of wax. Again, you can't have bitachon without emuna. I can't trust in a God I don't believe in. However, the fact that I believe in Him and I say ani mamin does not believe, mean I trust Him. Because trust is linear. Trust has to permeate. Trust changes the way we perceive things. Trust changes the way we feel about things. And therefore, trust changes the way we think, speak, and act. You can't trust in God and steal. But you could believe in God and steal. So, tonight's class isn't about bitachon and emunah, and yet I'm struggling with it. It's difficult to explain. It's difficult to really get your head around it. This class that I was giving back in the day in my brother's Chabad house in Fort Lauderdale was specifically about the topic of emunah and bitachon. Faith versus trust. Prior to that class, I had a friend who told me that he has a girlfriend who's not Jewish and he wants to know she's in her nebuch, last stages of terminal cancer and can she come? I said, sure, no problem, let her come. They weren't, when I say girlfriend, I don't mean dating to get married or way past that age or anything. They just were friends. And he wanted her to have some comforts, he wanted her to come to the class, not knowing that the class was going to be about faith and trust. Back in those days, we didn't text and email on Facebook what the title was going to be. <laughs> those were simple days. You showed up, and whatever we spoke about, we spoke about. <laughs> and what happened was that she shows up, and she's listening to the whole class. Now, bear in mind what she's going through, what stage in life she is. She isn't with us no more. After the whole class, she says, Rabbi, can I say something? I said, sure. Go ahead. She says, this is how I see it. She's summing up the whole class, the whole teachings of Hasidus and about Amuna versus Bitachon. And what she did for me really changed. It really allowed me to absorb the difference between Amuna and Bitachon. She says to the whole class, you're sitting at a circus. And by the circus, you see the high wire, the tight wire, what's it called, walker? Walking with the wheelbarrow. You're sitting in the audience. You're not sitting at the edge of your seat. You're not biting your nails. You know he did it a hundred times before tonight. Tonight itself, he probably is going to do it another two times. And after this, for many years, he's going to do it. You're not worried. That's called emuna. Then she said, trust is getting into the wheelbarrow. Whole different story. To sit in the audience and have a God in heaven who has performed miracles, who will perform miracles, that's not trust. But to get into God's wheelbarrow, to really say that He's going to protect me today, that is trust. So emuna and bitachon are two very different things. If you want to put it this way, our job is to chip off a piece of emunah, turn it into bitachon, and let our emunah grow even greater. I'm going to say that again. 
the job that we have is to take that innate emunah that we have, chip off a little piece of that emunah, abstract, circular, omnipotent, doesn't have to make sense, and turn it into bitachon, internalize it. That is what our job is to do. We're actually taught in the Talmud, it came to a halachic story with Pesach and Shabbat, and the rabbis didn't know what to do concerning how the Jews are going to bring the knives to the Holy Temple. And the great sage said, leave them alone. They are believers, the sons of believers, they'll know what to do. In other words, Jewish people inherently are believers, the sons of believers. However, we are not inherently trusters, the sons of trusters. We can live our entire life with emunah without ever having bitachon. That means I absolutely believe in God, but I am consistently looking over my shoulder because I expect to get hurt. It's the famous Jackie Mason joke where every Jew clearly knows a building that they could have bought, would have bought, and should have bought, but they didn't buy it. You know that famous uh, Jackie Mason piece? Now, now it's too late. Why are the Jews going through that? Why is it would have, could have, and should have, and we didn't? The answer is because we have a munah, we don't have bitachon. When we have a munah, we don't have bitachon. So we believe that God is good, but we don't trust that God is good. Now let me share what that means. What that practically means is that even though I do my due diligence, I look into this potential investment. I look into the numbers. I make sure that everything makes sense. And after all the numbers, and after making sure that everything makes sense, I then know that I can afford to lose the risk. Right? We all know the rules. Never risk something that you cannot afford to lose. Now, when all of that is said and done, if I have bitachon in God, if I truly trust that God is good, God is kind, and God will protect me, then I should be able to say that this is a sane, safe, sound risk investment. Do you know why 99% of Americans will not be rich? Because 99% of Americans don't trust in a higher power. And thus, there's always something that stops us from taking the necessary sane risk to grow. Because if I believe that God is not protecting me and God will hurt me, then I will be afraid to do the things I need to do. And I want to use the words again. Sane, healthy, due diligent risk. And that's why everyone you know knows a building that he or she could have bought way back when it was so cheap and now it could have been. But if you could have, would have, and should have, why didn't you? Why don't you? We don't because we believe in God, but we don't trust God. To quote a very famous Jewish comedian back in the day in Israel, he actually used to do comedy in Yiddish. His name was Jigen. There was two people, Jigen and Schumacher. And Jigen used to always say like this. I'll say it in Yiddish and translate it. As the Rebbe Shtevil shista bezen. Nu, pamir, hatenish gewalt. 
If God wants, a broomstick can shoot. No, by me, he didn't want. You follow what just happened? Of course God can. Of course I believe in God. But I don't trust in God. And that's why I am impotent. I can't take a real, real sane risk. Because I don't trust. And when you don't trust, you're too afraid. I don't want to give God a chance to hurt me and let me down. Which God? The God I believe in. Which God? The God I don't trust. So I hope that we're being very clear that emunah and bitachon are two different things. Emunah is something that every Jew is born with, deep, deep down, sometimes covered with dust, but you're born with emunah. Trust is something you're not born with. Trust is something you will, first relationship will be with your primary caretaker. If you have a dysfunctional primary caretaker, and this is not a support group for 102% of today's generation that suffers from dysfunctional primary caretakers, whether it be our parents, post-Holocaust, post-Russia, post-whatever it may be. I'm not putting blame. I'm just stating a fact. I believe that the entire round globe suffers from dysfunction. And just because of the stuff that has happened. But if you come from a dysfunctional primary caretaker, if you come from a educational institution which was punitive, if you come from a type of environment where we give information on a need-to-know basis because that's what allows me to control you, you're going to have trust issues. One of the most beautiful things a parent can do for a child to help them develop trust issues is play peekaboo. Did you know that? It was very interesting when I read this. What happens when you play peekaboo? Remember that in a child's world, what the child doesn't see doesn't exist, disappeared, died. Now what happens when a parent, which is the child's primary caretaker, covers their face and all of a sudden the child cannot see them? And then all of a sudden, immediately, with a smile, you reopen your face. What that's telling the child is, even when you don't see me, I'm here. You can trust. And obviously that continues you walk out of the room. You ever think what it means to a child when you walk out of their room? You just fell off the planet, never to return. So there's trust issues have to be learned, unlike faith. But without trust, without trust, faith is left impotent. I have a great big God that I tr believe in, but I'm not taking no chances with. Right? So, without trust, we're always looking for plan B. Plan A is, God will help. <laughs> plan B is, just in case, what happens? So, now that we understand the difference between faith and trust, let's talk about what Tisha B'Av does to us. What does Tisha B'Av do to us? And we're talking about a personal Tisha B'Av. Okay, we're not talking about losing your glasses. We're talking about a serious 
Tisha B'Av event in our life. What does that leave us with? What that leaves us with is a battered bitachon. God, I trusted you. How did you do this to me? I want to share with you again. We have all these stories. The rabbis, we're all great at telling stories, right? The story about the guy who was on the island, he was drowning, and they sent a helicopter, and they sent a U-boat. He said, no, I trust in God, I trust in God, right? And then he dies, and he asks God, how did you do this to me? And he says, what do you mean? Who sent you the helicopter? That's not the story we're talking about. We're talking about stories where really, we ask ourselves, was it possible for us to have done anything differently? God forbid. Person gives birth to a child, an unhealthy child. Part of the therapy is that they should get over thinking that they're to blame. Because as parents, we right away think, we want to know, we want to get tested. Did it come from my side of the genes or her side of the genes? And then when we don't know which genes it came from, now it becomes tikkun. I must have done something so bad that Hashem gave me this punishment. So with the therapy is quite the contrary. Stop blaming yourself. But then the question is, if Hashem could do this to me, that becomes very scary. God forbid the first child is a special needs child. There's a huge process before those cu that couple is going to have another set of kids. A person goes ahead and has a relationship, a marriage, and something went wrong in the marriage, especially if one was blatantly not honest in the marriage. We have trust issues. Of course, we want to get back up. We're going to get remarried. We're going to meet someone. But there's trust issues. Not a Muna issues, there are trust issues. Because if I was hurt once, I could be hurt again. And that's what allows us to have a faith which is impotent. I believe in God, I love God, I fear God, I live a religious life for this God, but I'm not sure that I trust God. Why don't I trust God? Because I've been hurt before. You know, I have not seen this in the Baba Sali's writings, but I was told that the Baba Sali once said, he who was rich will be rich. Now, I'm definitely not someone to add on little amendments to the uh, Baba Sali's holy words, but I'd like to at least put a little tiny fine print parentheses there. He who was rich will be rich if they still have it within them to trust. Because if you made it up the mountain once, it's easier to make it up the mountain twice because you already know. You know. You already have the connections. You've been there. Done that. So what stops a person who falls down the mountain from getting back up the mountain? It isn't the tactics. It's the fear. I know a lady who told me a very interesting story. A very special lady. She was never afraid of anything. She was the one that was jumping off the cliffs in Mexico and she was skiing and all of that. And then one time she had a ski accident and she was still, you know, to infinity and beyond. But while she was in her cast and crutches, she fell down the steps with her foot. And she told me that as she was laying there and her husband came running to her, the words out of her mouth to her husband was, I lost it. And she said, what do you mean? What did you lose? And he says, I always felt that I had an angel 
protecting me. I don't feel it no more. Once you experience that, we're in trouble. Once you have a munah but don't have bitachon, we are in serious trouble. We're so in serious trouble that we cannot get back up together. We just cannot get back up. We're stuck there. Now let me be clear. We're going to survive because we have a munah, but we're not going to rebuild because we don't have bitachon. Am I being clear about the difference? I will survive when I have a munah, but I can only rebuild when I have bitachon. Thus, if we think about tonight's title, Rebuilding After a Personal Tisha B'Av. What does it take? What it takes is, let me say this very clearly, what it takes is to stop hiding behind faith. Because in this scenario, faith is actually hurting me, not helping me. Because when I hide behind faith, I never stop to sit down and really think. Of course I believe in God. Do I trust God? But if I keep on saying, of course I believe in God, of course I believe in God, I don't even allow myself to think the question. I don't even allow myself to, to entertain the process. Then what's going to happen to us is, we will survive, but we're going to be a living testimony of Jackie Mason's story. Oh, I knew, I could have, I would have, I should have, big mache, you should have seen back then. But you're impotent. You're just impotent. And the reason why we're impotent is because we don't have what it takes to start again to get back up and produce. So believe it or not, emuna is the problem to rebuilding. Now let me be clear. I'm going to say it again. Without emuna, you can't have bitachon. I can't trust in a God I don't believe in. So when I say emuna is the problem, I'm telling you, get rid of your emuna. What I'm telling you is to stop hiding behind your emuna because there's something else very necessary. And that's called bitachon. You can't keep on comforting yourself that I believe because you'll never rebuild. Now I'm going to lean upon a teaching of the Alter Rebbe and Tanya even though he's not talking about what I want to use it for. The Alter Rebbe is an introduction to the second book of Tanya, Shariyich of Amunah. He talks about over there, it's called Chinuch Katan, is what we call that, a little two-page thing. And over there he quotes a verse, Sheva Yipo Tzadik Vigam Kom. Seven times the righteous will fall and they will rise back up. And he goes on to explain. He goes on to explain that between level A and level B, if it's a quantum leap, not just a gradual development, you need to have a total loss of A before you can go to B. So let me explain that. When we study mathematics, you can't forget fractions in order to get into division because it's building blocks, right? And algebra is a building block to geometry. So we don't come into class and the geometry teacher doesn't tell us, listen, what I need you to do is forget everything you learned until now because this is different. That's not what happens. Now here's a beautiful story in the Talmud. Rabbi Zera, very famous, Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Zera fasted to forget the Babylonian Talmud 
because he wanted to start studying the Jerusalem Talmud. Why? Because the difference between the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud is not the difference between level A physics, level B physics. Rather, the methodology of Talmud Bavli is an outright dichotomy to the methodology of the Jerusalem Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud works through a process of elimination. That's the way it works. Questions, answers, rebuttal, proof, contradiction. If you study the Babylonian Talmud, that is the process. Process of elimination. The Jerusalem Talmud, if you try to approach it through the process of elimination, it will always elude you. Because on a Kabbalistic level, we call Babylonian Talmud rebound light, so it's always through the process of elimination, while the Jerusalem Talmud is called the straight light. So don't do what you were doing until now with the Babylonian Talmud. It's not the way to digest this light. There's a quantum leap difference between the methodology of the Babylonian Talmud and the methodology of the Yerushalmi Talmud. So Rabzeira had to fast in order to be able to introduce into his mind the process, perception, the methodology of the Jerusalem Talmud. He had to fast to ask Hashem to please help me stop doing what I used to do with the methodology of the Babylonian Talmud. In the Jerusalem Talmud, the minute you hear a statement, you don't attack it. You need to let go and absorb it. In the Babylonian Talmud, the minute you hear a statement, you don't absorb nada. You immediately go straight into attacking. Because that's the way it works. You need to do it. Now let's go back to what we said over here. There's a stage in life where stage B is not the outcome of development of stage A. Rather, God is taking us into a total different dimension, a quantum leap difference. And therefore, in order to be able to enter into stage B, you need to leave go of stage A. You know, in my mind, when I was preparing this class, I'm thinking of a tangible example. And the only tangible example which I think I could come up with is maturity. There are certain issues that if you stick to the child's level of maturity and value system, you will not be able to appreciate this mature thing. You know, it's interesting. When your father children, this movie ratings give you a lot of problems. Mature material. That's a problem, you know. If you're talking about nudity, cursing, it's very simple. You know, maybe out there in the world, it's okay for adults, not okay for kids. By us, we don't have that problem. It's not okay, not for him, not for her. You're never old enough to do that. But when it says mature material, for example, I have a movie that I watched, and I'm not suggesting that people watch it. It's not easy to watch, but it needs to be seen by parents. It's called Bully. It's actually not done in the studios. It's actually live footage on buses, specifically with special need kids. I would suggest that you don't watch that if you don't need to, because your stomach turns. There's nothing in that video which is what we call inappropriate. However, if you're not mature, don't watch it. Why? 
because that is a quantum leap from the self-centered immaturity of life. So what I'm sharing with you here is there are certain things where unless you stop being A, you cannot become B. If you're immature, if you're really immature in your approach, if everything is a very childish, babyish, self-centered, I want and I want it right now, there are certain things you just can't appreciate. Because maturity, even though it develops, there comes a point where it's not a development. There comes a point where you have to take off your baby shoes and put on your adulthood shoes. It's not no more stretching the shoes. It's not no more holding on to your favorite security blanket. It's time to leave go of the blanket or just stay where you are. It's just that way. So when we come to those type of steps, we're actually asking you to let go of A to be able to get into B. Now here comes the question. What happens in the intermediate, in the interim? You left go of A, but you're not yet at B. What do you have then? That's, that is where the Tishabov event really hits. That is when it happens. You know, put, put things in perspective. I personally never worry about people through Shiva. I worry about the ninth day. When everyone stops coming. That's when I start worrying about the person. That's when the person will get a phone call from me. Because that's when the reality hits. That this wasn't just, you know, a, a nine-day disappearing act. It's really true. Tati is not coming back until Mashiach comes. Those moments when you have to let go of A and start embracing B, but you haven't yet. You're in between. Neither A, neither B. That's when Tishabov hits home. Those are the real Tishabov moments. When the whole fighting is done, the child custody is done, all the fighting is done, everything is peace and quiet, and you're home alone. Because it's not your weekend. We're talking about the real, quiet, Tishabov moments. How do you rebuild? So what al Rebbe is saying there is, that between A and B, you fall back on something. And that's why he begins with the verse, Educate a child in his format, so even when he grows up, he won't turn away from it. What are we talking about? The very basic trust in God. So now let me share with you how I'm interpreting this. I'm not quoting the Al-Tarebbe until I quoted Al-Tarebbe. I want to share with you how I'm interpreting this. How I'm interpreting this is that I have a Muna, and I'm going to have a Muna. But in between a Muna 1 and a Muna 2, when I get hit over the head with a real personal tissue above, that's the moments where I can develop bitachon. Let me say this again. Do you know how easy it is to trust God when you have a million dollars in your account? You know how easy it is to trust God when everything's beautiful at home? You found your zivuk, you have your kids, everything's good. You have at least six months of mortgage put away as a security blanket. Amuna is a charm. But let me ask you a question. 
Have you ever trusted in God in those moments? Most often not. Now let me ask you a question. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Why do we have to suffer and develop bitachon? How about not suffering and living off emunah? I'll tell you what's wrong with that. What's wrong with that is that you can never develop who you're really meant to be. Because without bitachon, you're afraid to take mature risks. Without taking mature risks, you're not going to develop your full, beautiful colors. There's such a dichotomy about Tisha B'Av. Every holiday we say, because of our sins we were banished. Then the Talmud actually says that this whole exile thing was an investment. God sent us into exile to bring back converts, human converts and object transformations. Make up your mind. Was it a punishment? Was this plan A? Was it really because we were bad, so we ripped up plan A? And the answer is, only Jewish people know how to do that. Is it A or B? The answer is yes. <laughs> That's what it is. The answer is yes. They're both true. Because in times, in times of Tishabov, heroes are made. Why are heroes made in times of Tishabov? Because every Jew believes heroes trust. What a difference. Heroes are willing to take an educated, sane risk because we trust in God. Now the question is, how can we trust in a God that hurt me? So, let's stop for a moment, let's recap, and then we're going to say the last point. We began with understanding there's a difference between faith and trust. We began with understanding that faith helps us survive, However, trust is what allows us to rebuild and grow. We explained that without faith, you can't have trust. But without trust, faith is impotent. It, it's just beautiful, powerful, useless. It'll help us survive, if that's what you want. Then we spoke about that in the difficult times of life, where faith isn't enough, because now I need something not abstract, powerful, leave go. I need something to chew on. I need a real pillow to absorb my tears at night and rejuvenate me with strength. Now we're talking trust. What we said was that why are heroes made in, in times of diversity, in times of pain, is because everyone has a munah. Heroes have trust, and trust is developed in that Sheva Yipal Tzadik Vigamkom, in between A and B, where we're left in darkness. And then we need to work it out. The famous old dancing in the street, doesn't work right now. We ain't dancing right now. We're too hurt to dance. So now we need to know, do we or don't we have bitachon? And then the last point we have to talk about is, how do we have bitachon in a God who hurt us? Again, I, I want to put this in very clear, tangible dimensions, you know. I tell people there are certain centers where they try to have you float and levitate out of the place. In Chabad, we want you walking out of the place. We don't want to get all mystical and beautiful and nada, and then tomorrow morning when, when you see a bill, you fall apart. What we're trying to do here is that tomorrow when diversity hits you, you have what it takes because you got your feet on the ground, your head in the clouds. So how do you? So I want to just share what this means. Let's put things in, in real tangible language. There's a marriage. A man had an affair. 
And for whatever reason, the woman decided that they want to work it out. Why do you want to work it out if you had an affair? So there's the whole logic behind it. It wasn't with a lover, forgive me. It was with a prostitute, so it wasn't emotional, it was physical. I, I, whatever we talk about when we do marriage counseling. But let's talk practically speaking. So she decided and he decided that they're going to work it out. Right? They made that solid decision. Can I ask you all a question? Does she trust him? Of course not. Of course not. Why doesn't she trust him? Because she was hurt by him. Why is she willing to give it another chance? Well, <laughs> there's always practical reasons, you know, financing kids and everything else. But let's say it's not that issue. Let's shed all the external issues or business-like issues of why people stay in marriages. Because there's something there that tells her that he's better than that. He does love me. He just needs help. But I'm not trusting him. What do you think she's going to do from here on every time he has to go away on a business trip? She's going to have an invisible leash around his neck. Because that's normal. So you understand that trust is not a joke. Now when you learn the chayvis halavavis, the duties of the heart, and in the duties of the heart you clearly see over there that there's a gateway called charabitachon, the gateway of trust. And in that gateway of trust, he actually lists certain things that God needs to have in order to earn your trust. It's not a simple thing. Trust God. Why should I trust God? You know, there's a book out there, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And the answer to that book is that what? That God didn't kill his daughter. Nature kills his daughter. But there's a little problem here. Because if God isn't involved then why am I praying to him? How many frustrated times do you have that you're sitting in some store and you're talking to a person and then they tell you by the end, you know something, I gotta get my manager because I can't make that decision. Like, why did you waste my hour? If I find out that God's not in charge because he's too great, if he's not in charge of how much money this Chabaras is going to make this coming year, then I don't want to be praying to him. Can I pray to the one who makes decisions around here? So it is a problem. So what I really believe is that it is God. It is God that does this to me. Now if I feel that God had an affair on me, he doesn't love me no more, he betrayed me, he sold me out, he made me be born as a child of a lesser God, how exactly am I going to trust that God? If that's the God that hurt me, how can I trust him? Now let's go back to what we said. I have no problem believing in that God. Why don't I have a problem believing in God? Because he's God, whether I like it or not. So he's God, I believe in him. But we just said that belief is not enough. We need to trust. How can I trust in a God who betrayed me? Questions huge. The answer, as in most huge questions, is simple. There is an interesting law, and it says that you may not do the nichum avelim. You're not allowed to comfort a mourner before the body is buried. It's a straight out law. So what I'm going to share with you is that the answer to my gigantic, huge, humongous question of how can I trust the God that hurt me is really very simple. 
הזמן יעשה את שלו. Time heals. There's a saying, מה שלא יעשה השכל יעשה את הזמן. What the brain can do, time will do. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because God is omnipotent, infinite. I am muy pequeño. So when I get hurt and the smoke is stinging in my eyes, do not tell me to trust God. Leave me alone. Give me my time. And that's exactly what that wife is going to tell that husband when the husband is frustrated that she's not trusting him. But that was a mistake and it never happened again and da 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 Give me time. So I was sharing this concept with a woman and she asked me, but Rabbi, how do you speed up that time? You know what I told her? I told her, you're a woman, right? Right. Tell me something. Is there any way to speed up the time of baking a cake? There isn't. And then I share with her the next step, which is very important for you people to hear. Why do you want to speed up the time? Because you feel that you don't believe in God then? I'm actually going to suggest to you that in those moments of anger, doubt, and fear, you have more trust in God than any other time. And if you think that God's waiting, I'm waiting, I'm telling you, I'm giving you another hour. You either work out your issues and trust in me, or I'm out of here. I'm not going to live the rest of my life with such a relationship. No. It's actually beautiful moments when we sit there feeling so fragile, wanting to trust God, not knowing if we can, and nevertheless pushing forward, trusting Him just a little bit today. Did that make sense to you? So if you want to talk about how to rebuild after a personal tishabov, you got to leave go of emunah, focus on bitachon, but very important, give yourself time. Don't beat yourself up that you don't have bitachon right after you got a devastating blow. The smoke is in your eyes, it's stinging, let it go. On that day, say your prayers without any intentions. Just get the words out there, get it done, and go on. Don't beat yourself up that I need to pray to God, and I need to work on my bemunah, I need to work on my bitachon. Let it go. I would tell you so much so, since Jewish people are so caring, and when you hear someone else hurting, and they stop mouthing off, and sometimes they mouth off at God, and you're like, la, 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 I can't hear this, I can't hear this. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. I'm not telling you to let God forbid blasphemy. We stop that. But don't get so to tumult that this guy is so angry at God. Let it go. Do you know what it tells me when I hear someone so angry at God? It tells me that God is real. Because those who don't have a real God aren't angry at him. So what are you worried about? What are you worried about that the guy next to you who you care about is suffering, is hurting, just lost a whole business, his wife ran away from him, whatever it may be. And he's talking to you about this God and God and the Vedavit. Let it go. When he stops talking about God, I'll get worried. The same with yourselves. Give yourself time. Give yourself time to be able to make God real. 
And when you feel hurt by God, God being real means that you're angry at God. And don't worry about it because your faith and your trust is stronger than your anger. Allow the smoke to get out of your eyes. Once the smoke is out of your eyes, then start reintroducing betachon. How do you do that practically? How you do that practically is you allow yourself to think, maybe there's more to it than I saw. Again, let's be practical. How many times were you so mad at your friend because your friend lied to you and she went to the other friend who's fighting with you and then and, and this and then the Facebook and she texted and all the whole thing, the drama that Jewish women are so great at. <laughs> right? And then what happens when you meet up with that person and all of a sudden you feel really silly because you found out what really happened. You feel silly, right? So what happens the next time again this all shoots up in your face? You're still sure that this time she's really, really acting like a blankety blank. But there's little doubt in your head. No, maybe I don't know the whole story. Let me reserve my opinion until I find out the rest of the story. Can we do that to God? Can we do that to God? Is there enough times in our life that God hurt us so bad and then we found out the rest of the story? So the next time we get so hurt by God, and our betochen is whacking off the racquetball court, can we at least tell ourselves, maybe I don't know the whole story. I know that what I'm feeling right now is not loved, not protected, not the chosen child of God, but let me just reserve my opinion until the smoke gets out of my eyes, give myself time, let myself resent what God did to me, let myself be upset at myself for resenting, and then just slowly let time take it away, and now let's revisit. But the name of the game tonight is, you must reconnect with trust. If you don't want to settle just for surviving, then faith is not enough. You've got to reconnect with your trust in God. Because trust in God means you'll get into His wheelbarrow, you will take a well, sane, safe risk. You can't do that without trusting God. And without doing that, you're just stuck surviving. People, thank you.